Well, um, well, first of all, I'm honored to be here. It's a real delight. How many of you are paid to work in the church that you work in? Like you actually get paid. Isn't that amazing? And how many of you don't get paid? Like in money, but in every other way. All right. And how many of you are brand new to the ministry of children or teens? Uh, none of you. How many of you, how many of you have done it forever? I hope no, not too long, right? No one's done it too long? All right. Um, how many of you work with kids? Like 10, 12 and under? Maybe 12 and under? 11 and under? How many of you work with the teens? 13 and older? All right. How many of you aren't sure? Like that was a, like it's been a long day already? All right. So I am so honored to be here. So um, I get to speak for about 40 minutes or so about my assigned topic, and then we'll do some Q&A, and we'll see um, what the Lord would have for us there. Um, again, my name is Kathy Cook. It's spelled K-O-C-H. It's a great spelling lesson. I used to teach second graders, and they, they worked so hard to learn my name. And then one week, we had the spelling word of cook, like I'm going to cook with my mom. I let them spell it K-O-C-H, and I marked it right, um, because like, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but um, I f I'm the founder of Celebrate Kids. We are a 31-year-old ministry based in Fort Worth, Texas. So I flew up uh, this morning from Fort Worth. And um, we also have a ministry called Ignite the Family, which is our conference division. We do conferences for uh, women and families and apologetics and all kinds of really interesting things. Um, my books are right outside the center door to the right, and my executive director is there. He would love to talk with you uh, today or tomorrow. Uh, just so glad to be here to talk about something near and dear to my heart. So I'm a moody author. I'm a former um, teacher of second graders, middle school, high school coach, university professor, moved from Green Bay, Wisconsin to Fort Worth, Texas to start my ministry at the invitation of Dave Reaver. How many of you know the evangelist Dave Reaver? Has he been in your church? So I'm on his board of directors. I'm actually his boss, which is like amazing. Um, and he loves introducing me as that. Um, and so it's just, um, I have an affinity with all of you and it's just good to be here. Let me pray. Father God, you know my heart is racing, so I need you to calm me down. So, Father God, would you do that? And would you help me uh, teach the truth that transforms with the Holy Spirit's guidance? And would you meet the need of these, your precious servants, needs they might not even know they have? Would you speak truth into what's going on in our world and in our churches and in our culture through this message, I pray, optimistically, because you love us well and you want us to uh, mature in what we're doing. So I give you this time in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you'll hear more about me um, if it's relevant throughout um, the weekend. But we're gonna, I was asked to speak about culture, something that Chris Pruitt knows that I speak about called core needs and identity and the church. There's no handout. There's no slides. I'm going to speak from my heart. And I do invite you to take notes on a device or on a pad of paper. If the Lord teaches you something, I'm not here to entertain you. And how many of you already have a full brain? How many of you have already listened a lot and you're already swimming a little bit? If you want to really apply what you're going to learn here uh, to your ministry, then I, sh I surely do encourage you to uh, take some notes. And I don't say that to put pressure on you at all. But I want to start with talking to you about what we believe at Celebrate Kids are legitimate needs. How many of you have people looking to have their wants met? How many of you know, right? And how many of us can be guilty of that? Anybody want to just go, yeah, Kathy, if I'm immature, if I'm tired, if I'm, you know, not feeling good, then I might just, I want what I want, what I want, and I want it now. And that would be the lie of technology that I'll be speaking with you about tomorrow. Uh, but we believe that there are legitimate needs, core needs, that God wired into us so that we would one day meet him. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And I want you to draw a pyramid. If you're a note taker, Count five or six lines down from the top of your paper and write the word security. So count down from the top about six lines and write the word security. We're going to build a pyramid. So the bottom of the pyramid is security. And security is defined by the question, who can I trust? 
we must make sure that our need for security, which is legit, is met in trustworthy people. Amen? Truth talkers, what I call truth talkers and wisdom walkers. We, who are Christ's followers, better not try to meet our security and our popularity, the number of people who attended our Easter service, how many children are going to come to our summer camp, or anything else. Amen? Do you like me? No, I don't care. Um, I just thought I'd put that out there right up front. So security is a legitimate core need, and it's defined by the question, who can I trust? I'm going to unpack it for you in just a little bit, but hang with me here. Above that, the second um, link on, on the pyramid is identity, and identity is defined by the question, who am I? So security, who can I trust, leads me to identity, who am I? Now, most of the children and the teens who you're privileged to serve and most of your volunteers in your ministry don't come up to you on a Wednesday or a Sunday or a Saturday and say, hey, who am I? It's not a question most of us ever really legitimately verbalize, but how many of you have children asking the question? And they're asking the question through the choices they make, through the behavior, and they're asking for your response. You know, do you think I'm creative? Mommy says I am. Do you think I am? Or am I going to get in trouble if I do this thing here? The other church didn't like me when I did that. Will you like me here? So identity, who am I, is a legitimate core need. All of us were created to be known. Uh, we learn in Isaiah 43, verse 1, that God calls us by name. He made us in his image for his glory. He knows exactly who he's made you to be. And because of that, you have a need to know who you are. How many of you are sick and tired of the identity crisis in our culture? Little girls and boys trying to change what they ought to leave alone, and they're not willing to change what they could change. Now that'll preach. Hang out with me here. I, got, I get you the whole weekend. You know, thank you, sir. I like you. This guy over here, I, I, got, I got him. No, you guys are listening well, and I appreciate it. It's been a long day for some of you, but you don't look like it, and I really, I really do want to honor you for that. Identity is a core need. Now, one of the reasons that I think we have a crisis in our culture is that there's no security. Security is the foundation of your identity. Why do you know who you are? Because you were raised with security. Raise your hand if that's a true statement for you. Like I was raised by church attenders, but I'm, and I'm older than all of you, but when I was a young person, everybody agreed with what was true and what was right and what was good and what was evil. Even people who didn't go to church knew that this is not what you do. But now we have denominations and churches and pastors and worship leaders changing their view and their perspective and trying to white out verses in the Bible. And I praise God for your denomination that is secure and who God is for you and what the scripture teaches. Amen. And so you're not going to fall into that lie. But when there is no security, when mom and dad are not there, when social media lies to them, when they listen to the lyrics of the songs from the lyricists who don't know them or love them, and they get confused, of course their identity is going to be wishy-washy. Because they have to perform, right? I I'm going to be this way for this person, and I'm going to be this way for that person. How many of you have kids like that in your ministry? Or teens like that? Do you have teens who come in and one Wednesday they're confident and outgoing and kind of this, they're willing to participate? And a few days later, phew, wearing something different, behaving in a very different way, and you wonder what happened? Something happened. Something they listened to, someone they chose to follow. It's a mess. Praise God, you're there in the middle of it all. I honor you. I'm not in the trenches. I fly every week, tell people what to do, and leave. <laughs> I've got the easiest job. I get home on Monday, and I go to uh, Tennessee on Wednesday, get home on Saturday, then the next week. And we're so privileged to celebrate kids that people listen to us. I will pray for you because you've got the harder job. 
So security, who can I trust? By the way, let me back up a second. Security, who can I trust? Trust in the triune God. Amen and amen. God who created you when he didn't have to, but he had so much love to share that he had to make people and he chose to make you, you. How much more can you trust him for? And the holy, accurate, transforming word of God declares that he is faithful and he is on our side and he's responsible and dependable and he's true. Amen? So he, God, is trustworthy. Why can we trust Jesus Christ? He took our sin upon himself before we even asked him to. How much more would he be willing to do for us if we simply allowed him to lead? In my church, and I, and I do not attend an assembly's church, when we're baptized, um, we are now um, Christ followers. The question that Dr. Lowry asks, who are you now? And the answer in our church is, I am a follower of Christ, which has action. There's action in being a Christ follower. Um, so you can, you can trust Jesus. Do you know his names? And his attributes and his character? And then the Spirit, amen, who enters in as our guide, comforter, teacher, convictor, best friend, and constant companion. So do we in the church trust the triune God? Yes or no? I hope so. And if I met you somewhere other than here, like over at the mall, would I know that you're a Christ follower? Because I will go on record, and again, I don't care if you like me. I want Chris to like me. Because Chris, like, you're the one that got them to hire me, so like, it's your reputation on the line. So... You know, if you're not liking something, let me know. But, but I'm going to say that, like, it's e how many of you know it's easy in the church to be a Christ follower? You know, it's easy to be devoted to the Word of God. It's easy to not sin in the church. But if you're in the long, if you're in the long wrong line somewhere, would I know that you're a Christian? Amen? Amen? You, are you guys tracking with me? Because here's the thing. If we're no different in the church, we have no authority over anybody. So respectfully... Are we as individuals trusting the triune God to meet all of our needs? And is our church trusting God to meet our, our needs? Or does it look like to the people who attend and check out our website that we're looking for popularity, income, the number of attenders, the, the, the great new backdrop. Nothing wrong with any of that, you guys. Of course, I don't want you to have a small church if you're supposed to have a bigger church. But how many of you know intimacy isn't wrong? And so how many of you, have any of you ever been affected in a small church? I have, like powerfully so. So why do we judge and think that, so at a conference like this, oh, I do a lot of conventions. I do a lot of homeschool conventions. I do a lot of pro-life work. And it's really dangerous at a pro-life work when they start saying, how big is your center? How many abortions did you rescue you know, people from? And you start to compare, and then you become defeated, and it's just so dangerous. Am I making sense to anybody in the room? Okay, so security. Then we get to identity, who am I? Not who was I, not who do I want to be, but who am I? And if your security is found in Christ, then your identity is found in Christ. And you're God's friend, and you're a Christ follower, and you're full of grace, mercy, and truth. And you're a worshiper, amen? And you're filled with the Spirit, and all these kinds of things you define yourself with. We believe at Celebrate Kids that identity controls behavior. Who you think you are is who you will be. That's why the scripture talks about your heart, which is the wellspring of life, and what it is that you should think about and not think about, because your identity, your essence, controls your behavior. It's rooted in security. And then we get to the third part of the pyramid. You with me? Number three, go above. The third one is belonging, and the belonging question is, who wants me? 
Another core need God wired into you to have met predominantly, authentically, by him. Belonging is defined by the question, who wants me, not who needs me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's okay to be needed. That's part of the next part of the pyramid. But let me, let me say something, and I say it with a lot of love and respect for you. If you get your legitimate need for belonging met by being needed, you will always look for people who need you. Now you're always the king of the mountain. Now you're always the authority. You're never the teachable one. You're never the one that has to be humble. Am I speaking to anybody in the room? Because that's my testimony. I used to be very much afraid of being found out. So my security was, I am knowledgeable. My identity was, I am knowledgeable. My belonging was, I am knowledgeable. Would you like to know me? Not, I am friendly, or I am cool, or I am kind, but it's all about my wisdom. And I went through a really horrific crisis of identity myself a number of years ago when people started to tell me, Kathy, we like you. We don't just value your intellect. We don't just hang out with you because of what you know in the books you write. Like, we like you. Like, wait, you like me? Like, I thought that you needed me. Anybody with me here? Yeah. If we don't get this right in the church, we look no different from the culture. Whether that be the school the mall, the media, the corporate workplace, etc., the dysfunctional family, maybe. So security, who can I trust? Identity, who am I? Belonging, who wants me? Now, it's a pyramid, and identity is in between security and belonging. So identity, I've already told you, and thank you for listening to me. I've already told you that identity is heavily rooted in security. Amen? You guys got that, right? If your young people have no one they can trust, they will not know who they are. Watch for that. That's a symptom. How many of you have kids every week they're in a different home? How many of you have kids with six parents, 12 grandparents? Oh, my gosh. And you can tell on a Sunday where they spent Saturday night. And they're trying to figure out, you know, all of those kinds of things. Well, belonging also influences identity. We say at Celebrate Kids, and this is not an original thought, but show me your friends and I will show you your future. Right? And that's partly because we become like the people we hang out with. So belonging will negatively or positively affect what? Identity. You need to be a fellowship of believers, of Christ's followers, of richness and wisdom and love and compassion and mercy and grace and truth and forgiveness and joy and patience and kindness. You need to have that identity so that you go up the pyramid and in influencing the belonging of the people who are lost, amen, and that their lostness doesn't negatively affect you. You guys with me there? So belonging. We teach at Celebrate Kids. See if you guys can follow this here. Um, and I apologize if you were really wishing I had slides. I will have slides for my other presentations. Um, let me say this to you. Younger people, the computer, I'm going to talk about technology tomorrow. Personal computer was invented 41 years ago. That's how old it is. World Wide Web and the iPhone after both of those, people who have been heavily influenced by devices, the children you serve and the volunteers you work with. How many of you are listening with your volunteers in mind? Right? How many of you want volunteers to stick around? Okay, belonging, who wants me, is rooted in 
identity, call them who they are, and security, know their name. Follow through. Forgive, ask for forgiveness if you disappointed them. Call them on a Sunday night to ask about the high point and the low point of their morning. Pay attention to them so that you root their security in you and your church and your ministry. Their identity is, I serve there. And their belonging is, I think she really wants me. So you can, you can make such a difference here. We teach that younger people, your volunteers, your staff, and the students you serve, have what we call relationship-based beliefs. Hang with me here. Relationship-based beliefs. They relate, and therefore they believe. How many of you have young people who change their mind a lot? It's frustrating, right? One Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, it's all about, you know, being baptized, it's all about, you know, joining the choir, it's all about the VBS, it's all about the whatever, and a day later, no, I didn't say that. No, you really did. No, but I didn't mean that. Well, what happened in 24 hours? I listened to somebody else. Relationship-based beliefs. And what's really frightening to me about the younger generation is that the people they listen to that influence their thought life and their security are not even people they know. It's the lyricist of the song they're singing. It's the stupid binge-watching TV show with dialogue that is demeaning to their gender and their generation, but they listen to it. And that becomes louder than your I love you on a Sunday morning. You guys with me here? So younger people have relationship-based beliefs, which is why belonging in the middle of this pyramid that you're building with me is so significant. This is you and your community. This is your church. This is your youth group. This is your children's program. This is your children's choir. This is your VBS. This is your service projects. This is it. Because if they're hanging out with you and like-minded people, then relationship-based beliefs will be okay. But if in the church they cannot find relationship-based beliefs that are God-honoring, we're in big trouble. And I will tell you something. As I travel the beautiful country of ours, there are churches where you can find the lie. There are churches where you don't hear the truth. Not yours. Amen? Well, that was weak, people. It was really weak. Thanks. Now, the opposite of relationship-based beliefs, for those of you that want to finish the thought with me, are belief-based relationships. So those of us who are older, or you younger people who are grounded and sold out to the things of the gospel, we have what I would call belief-based relationships. I have friends who are not followers of Christ, but I do not hang out with them nearly as much as I do my friends who are Christ followers. And I am a red, white, and blue, bleeding, pro-America, uh, pro-veteran, uh, pro-military, anti-war, vote in the elections other people don't know about American. My grandfather was mayor of my city growing up. I come from a really strong heritage of caring about this country. Working with Dave Reaver, um, being on his board of directors, of course, working with our heroes has been life-changing for me. So I hang out with people. Like, I wear patriotic clothes on a non-patriotic day, and we go out to the restaurant, my friend Louise and I, and the server will say, is it a holiday I don't know about? And I'm like, no, we just happen to like America. Um, so your beliefs cause your relationships is the better way to raise children. Amen? So how do we make that happen in our churches? We teach our beliefs. We don't assume that they wake up one day and agree with us. 
And praise God for the Equip Conference where you can learn more about how to do that very thing of teaching and not telling and yelling. And I'll be privileged to address that here and there in my messages. So is that making sense to you so far? Security, who can I trust? Identity, who am I? Belonging, who wants me? And then we get to number four, up the pyramid, which is purpose, why am I alive? Purpose, why am I alive? Why did God bother making me me? Purpose, why am I alive? Um, the leading cause of suicide in our nation is a lack of purpose. Sometimes there are young people and older people who feel despair and hopeless and try to kill themselves and succeed, and it's a belonging issue. It's bullying or it's isolation and loneliness. Those things certainly happen. But if you look at the data and you read the suicide notes and you interview people who tried to kill themselves but weren't successful, can you imagine that, by the way? I'm more concerned about the people who tried to kill themselves and didn't make it. Whoa, the pain they live with. They couldn't even be good at that as I've counseled them, all right? So the lack of purpose is a leading cause of suicide. Why should I keep living when the days are so dark? The second leading cause of death for 10 to 24-year-olds, you probably know that. Do you know that in our country, our amazing United States of America, how many of you are 50 years old? Could I just see your hands? Anybody 50 or older? The, the number one cause of death in our country for 50-year-old Caucasian men specifically is suicide. The number one cause of death for Caucasian men who are 50 and older, number one cause of death is suicide. Why? No gold watch. Empty nesting. My wife was a mom. She's not really a wife anymore. The, it's, there's a long, messy story there. But I will go, in fact, one of my grave markers, we kind of debate, like, what should we put on Kathy's grave marker? Um, I'm not going anywhere soon, but we just kind of talk about it because I think it's really important to think about what are you leaving behind? And so, you know, one of the statements that we really will proclaim is that purpose matters. We believe at Celebrate Kids that we are created on purpose, with purpose, for purpose. And I'm going to talk about that tomorrow morning. We're created on purpose, with purpose, for purpose. And look at the pyramid. If you have no security, you don't believe you matter. If your identity is only negative, how many of you, how many of you know people with their whole identity is negative? Right? What they cannot do, what they're not good at, the number of friends they don't have, like their whole identity is negative, then their belonging is broken, right? And if you have belonging comes before purpose because scripturally our purpose is to serve. So if you have no relationships, you might as well die. This is what children tell me. Dr. Kathy, there's no one I can make a difference for. There's no one who cares enough about my thoughts, that, that I matter enough, that I would live for, so I might as well not live. Uh, I, I could go on and on. Am I making sense to you this evening? All right. So purpose is rooted in belonging who wants me. You when they want to come to you and you want them to come to you and you give them a reason to show up, how many of you let your kids serve you, right? Pass out the papers, erase the board, serve the lemonade, whatever. We got to get our high school kids serving um, because I'm Celebrate Kids in my church. Uh, the, the sons walk and do the offering with their dads. The earlier you can get the children to know that they're not too young, the better it is. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow morning. Are you coming tomorrow morning? 
I don't mean to kind of be hinting, but I am. I'm really looking forward to tomorrow morning. This room, I believe it's at 8.30. Show up. All right. All right. 9 o'clock? Oh, that's even better. I don't like mornings. All right. I would have done it for you, Chris, because anything for you. Um, so, you know, if we don't give them purpose, there's, there's just not a compelling reason to show up. There really isn't. Belonging will eventually get stale and unnecessary, except that something comes from it. How many of you have found great purpose in your belonging? Would you raise your hand? Don't lie to me. How many of you have found great purpose in your belonging? Yeah, yeah, look at that, right? The ministry of the local church, the ministry of the church, your family, your corporate place, where else you volunteer, it matters greatly. So check this out. Security, what can I trust? I'm popular. Identity, who am I? I already told you, I'm popular. Belonging, who wants me? Well, duh, everybody, because I'm popular. If you don't know me yet, I'm just so sad for you. And purpose, why am I alive? I am alive to be popular. How many of you think that's dangerous? I think that's very dangerous. Do you know that I can make you cry and I can make you clap? I'm not making that up. It's very easy if you want to be popular. How many of you know if you want to be popular, you say yes to the no things and no to the yes things? And you, I mean, it's just different. And so the first question, security, what is the right security question that I taught you? Who can I trust? What have I demonstrated to you the wrong first question? That's the cultural lie in bold. Security, what can I trust, will kill you every time. Security, what can I trust, my popularity. Security, what can I trust, I'm beautiful. Identity, I'm beautiful. Belonging, the guys, I've got them, the girls are jealous, I don't care because I like the guys and it's really cool that they like me because I'm beautiful. In purpose, why am I alive to be beautiful? What happens if I wake up with a bad hair day, I've got a zit that's noticeable, or somebody cuter walks into youth group that day? My pyramid is gone. Why? Because I asked the wrong question first. Cultural lie. How many of us have been there? Anybody willing? It's easy. You guys, I'm not, there's no shame or blame. You did not need to know this. You did not know this yesterday. So don't feel bad about yesterday. Don't even feel, about, don't even feel bad about lunch and the conversation you had and you were competing with the person at the table trying to get these needs met. I get that. Been there, done that. That's why I wrote the book I wrote, quite actually. The book I wrote on this is called Five to Thrive. We don't have it out there yet. It'll be here tomorrow morning. Five to Thrive is the book that I'm speaking from, um, and we would be delighted to meet your, your needs further by um, having you read that book. Now, what about number five? There's, there's a, the, the pyramid peaks not with purpose. You know what follows purpose? Competence. And competence is defined as what do I do well? Competence. What do I do well? I want to hear an amen after the next statement I'm going to make. Perfection is not your goal. Amen? Perfection has been done. His name is Jesus. And we need to cut ourselves some slack and understand that this side of heaven, we are imperfect. We are being perfected, Matthew 5, 48 and other places, but we are not yet arriving. 
And now if you're mediocre at best, then you might want to ramp it up a little bit. But most often, the lie that I experience in the church is a lie that I can be a perfect Christian or my Sunday school will be perfect or my children will perform perfectly, you know, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But here's the thing, you guys. You weren't created with a need for perfection. You were created with a need for competence, which is defined as being able to successfully meet your purpose. Look up the word competence in a dictionary. It means being able to do what you have been called to do. You do not need my competence. You're not an author and a public speaker who travels every week. And I do not need yours. I have not changed a diaper in years, and I don't intend to start learning it because I don't need to know how to do that. You guys with me? No. You need the competence you need to fulfill the purpose that you've been called to, which is one of the reasons that your young people must know their purpose so they're motivated to arrive at their what? Competence. The dropout rate in the public schools of America before COVID was 6,250 kids a day. We'll never know the dropout rate again because of COVID and attendance and homeschooling and private school, and it's just a mess. The dropout rate in church, how many of you are concerned about that? Anybody concerned about the dropout rate from faith? They thought God was real and Jesus was real and they were a follower and then they read something, heard something, saw something, followed someone, and now they give it all up. You don't lose your competence if it's rooted in your purpose. I'll talk with you about that tomorrow morning, but I'm going to honor you to say that I, I would define our purpose this way, to glorify God. Isaiah 43, verse 7, to put him on display. He created us that we would have fellowship with him and know him and make him known. Amen? Our purpose has nothing to do with us except as we align with the God who chose to create us, us in his image for his good and his glory. And, and that, that's the message that's got to get out there. And in my privilege, I work with Summit Ministries. I'll be teaching this summer uh, several thousand 16 to 25-year-olds. I'm keynoting eight homeschool conventions this year where I often get to interact with the children and the teens. And they're dying for this message. They're dying to believe that there's a reason to keep living when the days are so dark. And they're dying to know that they don't have to be good at everything. How many of you find that freeing? Your purpose comes from, I mean, your competence comes from your purpose. So, you know, security, you know, I'm, what can I trust? I'm beautiful. Identity, I'm beautiful. Belonging, I'm beautiful. Purpose to be beautiful. Competence, I look really good today. Security, what can I trust? I earn A's. Identity, who am I? I earn A's. Belonging, who wants me? Mom and dad, when I earn A's. Purpose, why am I alive? To make mom and dad proud by earning A's. And competence, what do I do? Well, I already told you, I earn A's. What happens to that boy or girl with a B plus? And I don't say that to remind any of you of the pain that some of you might have been raised with. Most parents did the very best they knew how to do. And we need to be really careful of looking back with the wisdom we now have and judging our parents. My dad was a German engineer with really high standards. And I'm really grateful for that. He's now with Jesus, by the way. Oh, my goodness, it's an amazing story. Don't ever stop praying for your parents and the loved ones you have in your family. Right before he died, massive heart attack, unexpected, trusted Christ. It's a cool story. Well, not right before, 48 hours before he died. It's an amazing story. My mom trusted Christ as well. My brother has a Ph.D. and a postdoctorate, which is two years after a Ph.D., 
My brother has traveled the world speaking about clinical chemistry. My brother Dave can read all of my books. I cannot read the title of the article he's written. How many of you know what I mean? Like, are any of you medical people? Like, it has multisyllabic words I've never seen before. My brother, since COVID hit, has been on an international task force for COVID. He's my inside source. He's brilliant in ways that are just astounding. Why did Dave and I achieve what we've achieved? Because of high standards. But they were realistic. And that's the key. We wanted to develop competence because we were given purpose by not saved, but really, really good people. I hope I'm making sense to you. In your programs, in your people, in your churches, do you have the pyramid right? By the way, if you've taken notes, would you draw an arrow from competence down to security, it's actually a circle that never ends. When you are the one who teaches your volunteers and your staff and your students and your children and their parents, when you are the one who teaches them skills, you increase their security in you. How many of you find that attractive? You should. Do you know how many kids say to me, Dr. Kathy Lady, I'm supposed to memorize the Bible. By the way, that's a lie from the devil. You don't have to memorize the whole Bible. That would scare me to death. I would, I would give up pretty quickly. No, you're called to memorize a couple of verses that are assigned. Amen and amen. So, but they'll come to me, the, the complete stranger, and they'll say, you know, could you help me memorize? Because I really want to, but I don't know how. When you teach them how to memorize verses, to honor the Lord, to pray without being distracted, to worship with integrity and truth, to guard their heart, to love the Lord with all their mind and heart. And when you teach them how to be, not only do you give them competence, but you give them their security and they will come back on Sunday. Because there's not a person alive who doesn't need to be able to be successful at the things that matter. And more importantly, maybe, depends on your philosophy, you've increased their security in themselves. Now, I've read the scripture that says, lean not on your own understanding. Amen? I would never want you to think that I'm saying to you that you should raise up a generation that don't need us. No, of course not. But how many of you want your children and your young people and your volunteers to be well and do well even when no one's looking? How many of you want them to be confident and competent and not necessarily having to need everybody? They should not have to ask Siri every question in the book. She, it, is a liar, by the way. It, don't call it a she. It is a liberally programmed computer. It doesn't love you or know you. Just stop it. I mean, you can ask Siri what other movie did this person be, and that's okay, but you know you can ask Siri who God is, and it'll try to tell you. It's just such a lie. Oh, we've got to be so careful. So I want us to be really cognizant of this idea that when you teach, see, kids tell me, they'll say, Dr. Kathy, I hear this a lot about parents. I love parents. Oh, my goodness. So challenging today. Oh, by the way, maybe this is what I should tell you. I'm not a parent. I'm not even married. I've traveled to 30 countries to tell people how to parent their kids, and I've never done it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I just talk best practices. I'm not going to tell you how to do it my way because I've never done it, and that actually frees me, and it frees you to listen. And when anybody debates with me, well, how, what gives you the gall to think that you can do that? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. 
He wasn't married and he wasn't a parent, but he had a whole lot of wisdom for husbands and wives and moms and dads. Amen? And I am not equating myself with God, good heavens, or Jesus, but he can equip us his way. Amen? He equips us his way. But here's the thing. What kids tell me about their parents and their teachers, both, you know, homeschool and school and you, Dr. Kathy, I think they love me. They tell me a lot of stuff to do. I sure wish they would teach me how. They tell me a lot of stuff, Dr. Kathy. And then they must think that it's pretty easy because then they yell at me when I don't get it, right? But Dr. Kathy, lady, I don't think they ever really taught me how to do it. And I say to you with the utmost respect, I get that. How many of you are getting that? You with me? You have a lot to cover, but you should be teaching. Ooh. Ooh. Was that okay? Did anybody write that down? <laughs> it's not about covering content. It's not about finishing lessons. As good as the lessons are that you've been told to teach, you teach. Books don't teach. You teach. So you had something that happened in the life of your church or your community or a child. That's what you teach. Amen. Anyway, I'm rambling a little bit. But competence is what will really root um, all of them. Now I'm going to say something and I want, I want to see if you can track with me here. In our culture, so how many of you have seen the lie in the culture as I've talked? Have you seen the lie? The, the culture, the, the out there, the unsaved, the, the, the churches that aren't getting it right, there, there is a lie that you can meet your own need for security, that your identity doesn't matter, just change it at will, belongings are all here with me. There's just a lie out there. Now I'm going to tell you another lie. Another big, 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 big lie in our country is that we have flipped the pyramid. And we've made our competence our security. Anybody with me there? And that's, I told Chris already at least once how proud I am, really just so pleased to be chosen to speak, proud of the association to have this event and that you're here. Because I think it's very easy today to decide. I know enough. I've done it a long time. How I many know what I'm talking about? Like, magazine subscriptions are down, book reading is down, attendance at conferences is down. Why? Because we're prideful, and we think we know enough, and on our own we can make anything happen. That's a lie. The pyramid is not competence, which gives rise to purpose. Now, competence and purpose are connected. Like, when I meet somebody who doesn't know what to do in the rest of their life, I will ask them, what are you good at? And when they tell me what they enjoy, what do you enjoy and what are you good at? Because interest and ability are cousins. So what are you interested in and what are you good at? And when they answer that question, I can usually help them find purpose. It's, it's not hard, but this is why I speak and why I write books. Um, the flipped pyramid is dangerous. How many of you work in corporate America? Corporate America has flipped the pyramid. We're hiring for competence. And if we never get their identity and security attached to our firm, they'll quit. You recruit them, you train them, you spend a lot of money, and then they walk. In the church, you recruit them, you train them, you spend a lot of money, and they walk. If they think that competence is where it's at. But the right, the right questions and the right answers would be something along these lines. Security, who can I trust? God who created me when he didn't have to, but he had so much love to share, he chose to make me and he made me me. Who can I trust? Jesus, who died for me, how much more is he willing to do? Security, who can I trust? The Holy Spirit, who is so loud and vivid. 
and alive and good at what he does. Identity, who am I? A chosen child of the king of kings, a princess. His daddy is the king. A saint who sometimes sins. A chosen, adopted, completed, created in the image of God, follower of Christ. Belonging who wants me, God does. Because of who he is, not because of who I am or what I do. Purpose, why am I alive? To glorify God through who I am and what I do and to put him on display, to tell others about him and to win the lost to Christ and to disciple the found into a greater maturity. And competence, what do I do well? Anything Christ asks me to do. Because the holy, accurate, transforming, always relevant word of God declares that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So is my security in him? Then my competence will be found in him and all will make sense. By the way, related to identity, that verse that I just quoted, Philippians 4.13, I love to tell teenagers, that is not a t-shirt slogan, that is a Bible verse. What's, what's it say, I can, what's the third word? I can do all things. That verse does not say that you can be all things. Now that'll preach. Because one of the greatest identity problems we have, of course, is people trying to become who they were not created to be, thinking that that is their right. And I'll, I'll share a little bit more with you about that in my morning message. But um, I have really enjoyed sharing, and I'm going to ask if you have any questions. And I'm just going to, there's no mic in the crowd. So was that, was that a blessing? It's not about me, but are you, are you satisfied? Do you feel good about what you've learned? Let me ask you a better question. How many of you have learned something that's going to cause you to be and do something different? Would you raise your hand? This is just a testimony to God. It's not about me. Because I am not here to entertain you. I could care less about being good at anything. Okay, how many of you have thought of something that you want to have a conversation about with someone else? So you're looking forward to talking to this person about this idea. Okay, that's really good. And how many of you do have questions? Like you're thinking, I wonder how that relates to Elizabeth, or I wonder how this relates to XYZ. Have you thought of some questions? Because I hope that you're curious, because I only had a few minutes to speak on this, but wow, what a blessing. You have been engaging and um, with me and, and note-taking and thoughtful and curious and reactive, which I really do appreciate. So, um, But let me stop talking if you have any questions. We have um, until about 5.20, so we have time for some Q&A. I'd like you to just... Um, use your um, playground voice, if you will, um, or we're coming up with a solution. I'll repeat the questions, but maybe there's another mic. Chris, are you going to be the roving mic attendant? So, all right. So, and I'm here the whole weekend, too. If you have questions and you'd rather ask them one-on-one, -on -one, I'd be happy to do that as well. My gosh. <laughs> Go sit down. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're going to ask a great question. Hello. Oh, all right. Thank you for your patience. So 
Well, you had said that our kids, we want them to be with like-minded kids and the belief-based. At some point, we, we want them to be going out and, and evangelizing and speaking right. to people who are not like-minded. So I get the idea there must be a point where we think that they're secure enough in their beliefs that they can go out and, and reach without being pulled down. But can you talk a little more about that? That's an excellent question. We, I was communicating that they become like the people they hang out with. And so belonging, when it's like-minded people, it's going to be more solid and it won't negatively affect identity. But then you do want to launch them into evangelism of the lost. You want them perhaps to be in the public school that is maybe full of a lot of people who don't follow Christ, although many people there do. So yeah, the more, the more that they know their values and why they are their values. It's really important that parents and the church pass beliefs and values onto the children where the children own them. It's not just that I believe this because daddy said so, but I believe this because this truth has proven to be a wisdom in my life. So for parents and teachers and churches to give kids an opportunity to compare and contrast wisdom from you know, truth to the lie and incomplete to complete and show them the, the deceit out there, show them the liar message, if you will, and then the truth, and have them to decide in their own words why the truth rocks and why the truth works. And then if I were sending kids out, you know, even in a service project to evangelize, maybe you're going to do soccer in the inner city and your kids are going to be exposed to kids with different values, then you make sure you debrief that. And you make sure that your kids have not been um, radically influenced by the negativity that they would believe that they've been lied to, but that they would have compassion for the lost. Compassion is a really important character trait. One of the books I've written is about motivation and character. Compassion is one of the character attributes assigned to both God and Jesus. There are not a lot of um, character attributes in the scripture for both. And compassion is, compassion is that I know they're hurting and I want to help them. That's the definition of compassion. So to train your children and your young people to have a compassionate response to the confused and the confusion, I think can help prevent them from wanting to own that for themselves. So I think that's my quick answer. Um, really important to debrief, really important to make sure that they know why they believe what they believe. It's a great question. Corey, I'll, co I'll come to you. Don't get up. You just, you just sit right down. Um, so looking at your pyramid here, I just have a question um, for kids in our ministries, youth, um, younger kids, whatever. I said, look at the thing, and they take it off. <laughs> Thanks, guys. No. Um, um, the idea of security, we obviously want kids to be secure in their identity with Christ. But for kids who don't have that relationship, and you talked about this a little bit, I think, but just clarify, does that start with the security of other followers of Christ as pastors? And then how do you transition that without becoming an unhealthy um, leaning on a human being instead? Whoa, it's a great question. So if somebody um, doesn't yet know Jesus um, and may not even be exposed to a lot of Christ followers, how does that all happen? Mom and dad. It starts in the family. Ideally, our moms and our dads are um, truth talkers and wisdom walkers. Um, they're there. You'll hear a little bit of my testimony tomorrow about my mom and dad. So ideally, the mom and the dad um, unconditionally love their children and like their children. Children tell me all the time, Dr. Kathy, I know they have to love me. They don't have a choice. I wish they liked me. I think my dad is obligated to play checkers. I wish that he wanted to. So when you want to be with them, they will feel just a very safe uh, security. 
Um, there, we need to apologize and ask to be forgiven when we violate. We don't treat them like, oh, you're just a kid, so it doesn't really matter how I behave around you. So moms and dads, grandparents, step-parents, uh, siblings, all of that is where that starts. And then it starts in with the teachers and, and the peer group, of course, and, and those of you in the church. And I think one of the things that I'm a huge believer in is when you're talking to young people and, and your staff and your kids, it's not, and, and hang with me here, you don't say things like, in my opinion, this would be best for you. We who know the word of God are not basing anything on our opinion. You guys with me there? But if I say to a young person, you know, in my opinion, that would be a mistake. Well, then you're giving them permission to base their decisions on their opinions. And you're sounding like everybody else in the world. Uh, the bully pulpit and the opinions are highly valued today. So in our churches, in our leaders, you know, we say, you know, there are, there are Bible verses that talk about that. Would you be willing to read one or two of those with me? Or to say, you know, you know, I've told you before, Jonathan, I love the word of God and I love it because it's alive and it's real and it's relevant and it's taught me so much. And there are verses in there that talk about guarding your heart and being careful of what you look at and what you listen to. And that's because there is evil out there. And I am so looking forward to you wanting to know more about that and me being able to be an ambassador of truth to you. But in the meantime, I am happy to be boundaries for you. I'm happy to say, whoa, be careful. But I'm looking forward to the day when you can independently walk into that truth. So I think we, I don't know if that makes sense in light of your question. Thank you, sir, for nodding. I think we talk strategically about our goal is that they not depend upon us forever and ever. Although, how many of you can look back to a religious Christian leader who influenced you? I can look back. I know that I can see the guy who won me to the Lord. I can see the, I can see the room I was in when Pastor Rich got me to humble myself and say yes to Christ. And so there's nothing wrong with being somebody, amen, who was in the moment a, a rock. But I love your passion that we eventually turn them over to the, to the spirit and to that inner voice. By the way, the more that you share scripture with them, the more they'll recognize the voice of God and the Holy Spirit. And so know the word and, and have it open and, and use it on your phone if you want to. Thanks for asking. Chris, where should we go next? First, I got to be part of your launch team for Five to Thrive. It's awesome. I got to be part of the launch team on Facebook. Super awesome. Oh, that's so Love cool. it. What is your name? Jessica Martin. Well, that's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm here like because we're I'm stepping into leadership at our homeschool co-op. And one of the things I'm wondering, like looking at the pyramid, when you have kids that are pushing back, whether it's sneaking out the door when they're supposed to stay in the gym or, or things like that, how do we help them to understand this pyramid and to, you know, not buck the authority in, like, the, the setting of the homeschool co-op? We have a couple that, um, I was a gym teacher for pre-K through second grade this year, and they were just really, like, mm, I don't have to listen to you, I can do it my way. And I'm trying to rein them in, but I don't want to be like the dictator that's the jerk. <laughs> How did you end that? I don't want to be the dictator that's just a jerk. <laughs> oh, she doesn't want to be a dictator that's just a jerk? Amen. Um, sometimes it's hard to hear. Oh, thanks for being here. Um, I have a new book coming out on resiliency, which I'm speaking with you about tomorrow afternoon. 
If any of you would like to be on the launch team, which means you get an advanced copy and you get to brag on it all over social media and tell your friends, it's, it can be a really fun experience. You get opportunities with us as a staff. Um, make sure you sign up to get our email newsletter and we'll have information for you about that tomorrow. Um, so really nice to have you here. Um, what I want to invite you to do is when you see a child misbehaving, ask God to show you which of the five core needs they're trying to meet in an unhealthy way. These are real, legitimate needs. These are not wants. And misbehavior, your misbehavior, and their misbehavior is always rooted in one or more. A bully is a security issue. A child who is pushing back, I, I can do it my way, that's pride, which is security and competence. Do you see that connection? Sometimes it would be belonging. You might, you, would, you might look and you might go, that's a, that's a belonging issue because he's actually scared. He sounds super confident, but he's actually not agreeing with me so he can distance himself from me, which is a belonging heartache. How many of you are tracking where I'm going? Again, this is why I wrote a whole book. But the, the point would be that here's, a, here's an idea. I'm a big believer, and you are too, even if you've never said it this way, I'm a big believer in looking for the pattern of misbehavior. No child and no volunteer in your program is consistently, 100% bad, if you will. Nobody always complains. Nobody always throws a temper tantrum. Nobody always gossips. You guys with me here? There's always something that triggered the misbehavior. We teach, in all my books, we teach that all behavior starts with choice. All good behavior that you're exhibiting today and all negative behavior starts with choice and all choice is rooted in worldview, which is why a biblical worldview matters. Now that's a whole other speech. But all behavior starts with choice. So watch to see when are they pessimistic? When are they optimistic? When are they complaining? When are they pushing back and not doing what they're told? And do a written record because we don't, it's easier to look back and go, man, three weeks in a row at the same time, I bet he's hungry. Or I bet he's, he's, he's lonely in that moment. Anybody making sense here? There will be fatigue, thirst, hunger, uh, fear, grief, um, overwhelmed by noise. Some kid who doesn't like to worship acts out during worship. Somebody whose body smart is going to start to act out when you, so when you keep saying sit still, would you just sit still, just sit still. Well, how many of you know if I tell a kid to sit still who's a mover, she's got to move. I mean, I'll prove it. Everybody be quiet. Now, how many of you have something to say? Right? As soon as you're told you can't do something, your brain is like, I've got to do that right now. And uh, that's, but thanks, darling. And Chris, I know I'm rambling. We have time maybe for one more? It's up to you. Do we? Yeah, one more. Okay. I saw her hand first. I'm so sorry. That was. And by the way, the did you type all that up there? Did you type that? Who typed that? Yeah, we sent Oh, John, did you give them that? Oh, that's amazing. Okay. I'm like, wait a minute. And, and Dr. Kathy, what book were you just referencing with that? The book is called Five to Thrive, Five to and we'll have it here tomorrow morning if you'd like to purchase from us. We're a ministry, so if you purchase from us, we are really blessed by that. Um, you can obviously find our books at other retailers. Yes, ma'am. So um, we're, um, we have a teen youth group. And so my question to you is, we encourage our teens to praise and worship. But during praise and worship, we also want them to, you know, uh, encouraging them to just start thanking, you know, thanking God and talking to him during worship. 
So one of the teens, after I got with one teen, I went to the other one. And she was a little leery. So what she did was she went to ask the other young lady, did she do it? <laughs> but, you know, she saw her doing it. So I want to know how, as far as your pyramid is concerned, how can I lead this other, how can I lead the young lady? How can you lead what? <clears throat> so we encourage them to um, doing praise and worship, right? Right, right. So as we were praising and worship, me and the other young lady, she was talking to God and was telling God how much, what she was thankful for. Right. You know what I'm saying? All the things that she was thankful for and how much she loved him. So when I, when, when I released that one team, I go to the other one. She was a little bashful, but what she did was she turned around to the team that I had just left before then and asked, did she do the same thing that I was asking her to do? Okay. So according to your pyramid, right. I want to know how can I lead this, this young lady? Yeah. So it sounded almost like an authority thing, like ah, I'm going to ask somebody else instead of really yeah. trusting you. What, you. what would you say to that? That maybe teens that constantly run to their peers yeah. to ask maybe authority instead of trusting a leader. Yeah, no, that's great. I apologize. Sometimes I almost better if, it, if it's. I almost wonder if it's better without the microphone. I appreciate the question. It part of me says it's a competence issue and it's a trust issue. They don't trust themselves to be well and do well in that environment, especially if somebody else, if somebody is praised, if somebody is overpraised, then it's very hard to compete with that. So if somebody is made out to be the king of the worshipers, if you will, and they're trying to be that and they don't think they can be that, they'd rather not even try. Because not trying is actually less painful than trying and failing. And if you think back to being in school, you know what I'm talking about. Because some of you gave up and didn't try because it was just easier for you in a lot of ways. So a lack of competence, a lack of training, a lack of comfort. Um, you know, there are some things that in the church, like, could, could we be honest? There's a new vocabulary in the church, right? You know, and there are new behaviors in the church that they've not experienced and exhibited before that might be intimidating. So my gut is that it's competence and security. Sometimes it's belonging. They want to fit in, and they're not sure if they will. Um, it also might be a way that they're smart, which I'm going to talk with you about tomorrow. So it's a, it's a relevant question. And then I'm going to radically say this, and then I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. Sometimes we should bravely ask them. We should bravely pull them aside, teachable moment, if, if you can create this kind of environment and say, you know, I've noticed that this is your kind of your go-to behavior. And I want to really help you grow in this way. Um, what are you, do you know what you're lacking are you lacking an example? Are you lacking ideas? Why is it hard for you? Do you think you're competing? How can I help you? That's a powerful question. How, not can I, but how can I help you? And let, let the students know that you're available. That's my gut. Let's talk more if you want.